0: Hello! Hi there! Welcome to Guiding Voice podcast series, the guiding voice for a better future. This podcast is to help students and young professionals to shape their careers. Dear listeners, in every episode, we interact with industry experts or academicians or coaches across the globe to drive some insightful conversations that will help our audience learn great things. Also, we share an interesting trivia or fun fact about the IT world towards the end of every episode. Thank you for tuning in. This is Naveen, and I'm with my co-host Sudhakar. So today we are going to discuss a topic, Enterprise Resource Planning in Aviation Industry. And we are pleased to welcome Bhavani to our show. Durga Bhavani Vadlamodi
1: started her professional journey right after obtaining an associate degree from a technical state board as a faculty teaching technical subjects. As the information technology industry intrigued Bhavani With enormous opportunities and vast learning it can offer, Bhavani started the journey as a system engineer and network administrator supporting ITC Limited. And that initiated her journey into ERP and database administration as her next career move. Bhavani took up the DBA role with General Electric, wherein she managed hundreds of databases, along with the key initiatives around ERP deployments. In the last decade, Bhavani has taken increased responsibilities within multiple GE businesses in the ERP space, helping transform the business units to a more sustainable foundation of IT systems to execute their daily operations. Not afraid of taking complex challenges, Bhavani led many successful IT deployments with strong advocacy towards process standardization before digitization. She is fondly called as ERP queen by the business leaders, who are part of her professional journey. Treat your people by heart, they put brains at work while you only pay for their hands, has been Bhavani's mantra to be an authentic people leader. Bhavani, welcome to our show.
2: Thank you guys, thank you for having me here.
1: So Bhavani, let's get into the topic. What is it like working in the aviation industry, which is very complex in nature?
2: It's fascinating. Aviation industry, also known as aerospace and defense industry, is almost an $800 billion market. Wow. Um, An intriguing and a vast sector that encompasses all the aspects of air travel and as well as, you know, everything that kind of adds up to enable that air travel. And this air travel includes a lot of other key segments like commercial aviation, military, business and general aviation, you know, the fancy business jets that you guys see. That also includes aircraft manufacturing like Airbus, Boeing, engine suppliers like GE, Patton Whitney, Rolls Royce, along with a lot of other aerospace companies and OEM manufacturers, uh, which is called original equipment manufacturing suppliers. This also includes about 40,000 airports that we have across the world and tens of regulatory authorities that every country has to make sure they certify everything that is flying around is compliant. Mm-hmm. Along with the supply chain and manufacturing, this industry also has a huge scope for aftermarket sales, also known as maintenance, repair, and overhaul network. That is where I closely work with. In this industry offers a great learning every day. It's about the aircraft capabilities for wide bodies, narrow bodies, you know, the supersized business jets, long haul aircrafts, as well as the different engine models that come up with all of these and the compatibilities between, you know, the aircrafts and the engine models, what engine model goes on to work what kind of aircrafts and how long can it stay in the air, as well as you know some of the regulatory requirements like FAA, EASA for Europe. And almost every nation has their own regulatory authority that it needs to certify the respective aircrafts that's flying that. Learning about all of this is a great experience as well as fascinating journey so far to me. It also helped me understand the the need for stabilization of configuration data, because whatever you have as a configuration data with you, and when it goes to the customer, it might go through certain modifications. And making sure all of that is intact to ensure that we are still compliant to the ATA standards is also critical. So it involves elements like digital twin, where you make sure you have a digital record of everything that is Done on a particular aircraft or an engine, along with some analytics around it to ensure we use the artificial intelligence in a better way and the early prediction of the aircraft maintenance schedules and the shop visits. It's all coming together as an intriguing aspect of learning. So, I would say in this industry, everyday learning is guaranteed.
1: Wow, so many moving components and thank you for that uh, quick summary on about this fascinating topic so Bhavani you are fondly known as ERP queen can you talk about your journey in the making of this ERP queen
2: It was a generous title given by one of our business leaders, who's also my role model. She's an accomplished woman in this complex industry, who's also responsible for managing 20 plus maintenance repair engine overhaul shops across the world, which turns into a billion dollars of revenue every year. she's also responsible to answer the hundreds of airline customers that she honors these commitments towards as well as be accountable for the delivery turnaround times so when a such leader decides to transform her shops with the latest IT technologies or trends it's a massive undertaking from an investment standpoint the dollars that they have to put in the people commitment they have to provide to make sure the right solution is built for the shops, continuing the commitment to the customers, as well as adherence to the efficiency metrics that they were measured on. And most importantly, it's a huge change in the culture for their shops. So based on this massive undertaking, when someone calls you or gives you a title, it's about trust that you can make this transformation effective, non-disruptive to the customers, non-disruptive to the financials, and most importantly, non-disruptive to the culture within the shop. And as I said, these shops are across the globe. And it also means that they are looking for efficiency around productivity, simplicity, and most importantly, a belief that we are setting up them for success to be able to help speed up their business. In ERP world, it helps you really stay close to the business. This is where real stuff happens, like the rubber meets the road. You can physically experience the direct impact of your work. And every shop transformation has been a great learning to me. Great coaches and mentors helped me in the journey to learn, deliver small, medium and large scale transformations. They also helped me trigger a passion around analyzing the industry data insights you know, gain manufacturing domain expertise, services-based knowledge, understanding the shop floor processes, and also help me question the status quo as well as ability to envision some simple solutions to complex problems. This whole journey, it started small, to be honest, but eventually the challenges that come on my way, the support that I have received from great leaders in the industry, the knowledge and the time that these leaders took to impart this knowledge in me really helped me transform myself into an individual who's more confident it turned me into a zealot to absorb this knowledge from everyone and i feel like i'm a student every day in this industry
0: that's an amazing and inspiring journey now talking about the erp implementation in general erp implementation is very complex and how is this implementation different in the aviation industry
2: Thanks for the question, Naveen. It's definitely different. Most of the tier one and two companies, when I say tier one and tier two, think about these as the airframe manufacturers like Airbus, Boeing, General Electric, Lockheed Martin. All of these companies have already started adopting ERP journey decades ago to manage their regular business operations. Managing their designs and engineering data is a little complex and they use different tools for that. But think about handling their regular business operations in terms of talking to their vendors, customers, through their invoicing systems. This is something where they need to be really nimble and faster towards the customer requirements. The aviation industry is special because it's complex. It has complex bill of materials, complex configuration data that the ATA structure provides. Again, ATA is a standard for the aerospace um, technical norms. And there are a lot of different versions on how individual parts or components can be repaired and can lead to a long and complicated router operations, which is what we call them as taskless. The airframe maintenance or engine overhauls are really long supply chains. They are not done in, you know, say a quick batches where a production manufacturing comes in and it just completes in an hour or a few hours. These supply chains can take really long duration, anywhere between two to three months, which means once an engine or an aircraft gets starts getting to overhaul by the time it gets to a finished stage it could take anywhere between 60 to 90 days. Now the challenge becomes how do you make sure When you are transforming a shop, all of these engines that are somewhere in those middle of the process in between the 60 to 90 days, how do you make sure they come into the new system in the exact point in time with all the cost accumulated at that point coming over to the new system? So that's where the complexity lies. The daily job of a quality engineer or a production engineer may not change in terms of what they need to do the aircraft or what they need to do that engine. But most importantly, the way a materials planner could run an MRP can change. How can they place the demand of materials could change. The way they track these subcontract orders could change. So in general, ERP transformation radically changes the way most of the individuals work in that particular shop. And that is why this I call this as a massive undertaking, not just by the business, but also by the individual shop. And they really need to take time out to learn this, to learn the new system, to learn the new processes, to learn the new complexity. But at the end, it's all good because it's a tightly integrated system that has its own nuances to bring complexity and confusion until you know a strong expertise is built around that. And it could eventually result in an improved confidence around the system, which paces up the business speed, I would say.
0: That sounds very exciting and complex at the same time. Can you also talk a little bit about the standard work that you have developed for the ERP transformation?
2: Sure. So for the audience who may not know what standard work is, it is defining an operational procedure for a repetitive work to improve the efficiency. Now, this works well for smaller processes. I would say it's a bold attempt to define one such procedure or a framework for a major program like an ERP transformation. ERP journey in itself is, as I said, a massive undertaking by the business. Some of these transformations could last a decade to transform a good-sized business completely into ERP. It also means the organization has to secure its resources like the budget, people, prioritization, continuous watch on how this is evolving for years as it becomes like a multi-generation program. Now, as the saying goes, it takes a village to implement an ERP in the business. It needs to have resources from everywhere and not just from IT. It involves who has people who are the process experts, who has the sharp expertise, who has the respective knowledge about their particular localization requirements within the country. Now, all of these pieces in the puzzle has to come together at some point. The process standardization, blueprinting, solution build, bringing over the data from the old system, as I mentioned, the work in progress engines that has to come over in the exact point in time to the new systems, they all has to come together at the right time. Standard work for ERP transformation helps provide a framework and helps assess the progress of the transformation journey by the site. It also helps assess the risks of the project at the right time, also provides some metrics in terms of gauge ourselves on where do we stand with respect to the overall program as well as that particular individual deployment transformation. So this framework also encompasses all the possible best practices in the ERP deployments world and includes all the golden rules of ERP and I would call it as a bible for various milestones in the project. So as I said it's just an attempt it's working for us right now and it can probably help the broader organization and the industry at a future
0: point.
1: Bhavani, with all these creativity and innovation that happens around ERP, how does a day in your life look like from a ERP center of excellence leader standpoint?
2: Okay, sure. So I would say the day would be busy for sure. Because the <laughs> responsibility is also to evangelize the purpose of the Center of Excellence, aligning ourselves towards the vision and strategy, as well as the commitment that you have offered to the business and what exactly they are looking from you to deliver. Now, the ERP Center of Excellence comprises of various teams. It has the functional teams that constantly works towards the maturity of the solution to cater to the business needs. And there would be this focused deployment teams that work on the specific needs of that particular shop to ensure that they help with their transformation, change their business processes, bring over their data, and also do the quality checks around the data and solution, as well as the overall governance of the program. Now, there will be another group of team called technology teams who also constantly ensure that the right infrastructure needs are covered for this particular system. Also help with the simple architecture for us to deliver multiple projects at the same time. They also take care of our security requirements, compliance requirements just to help us protect from any of those cyber attacks. It also includes, you know, how can we harness the power of the data that is generated in the ERP systems? How can we build visualization to help business with the right numbers that they can look at and make some educated decisions around the business processes? Along with the whole thing, this team also works on the automation requirements. So my day specifically is about touching base all of these individuals to see how things are going. And based on the phase that where we are with respect to be the product improvements or the technical advancements that we're doing or the shop deployment statuses, we talk a lot about the transformation challenges. So it's no less than a roller coaster ride. But the best part is you get to work with the industry experts. You get to work with the technical gurus, the solution masters, influential leaders, people who have really strong knowledge about how these processes work in the shops. And the best part I enjoy the most is I get to work with diversified cultures, people living in different countries across different time zones. So I would say it's fun. It's fun to connect with everybody on a daily basis. Do you agree?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I would say it's an amazing journey for you. You know, starting from a faculty to system administrator to database administrator to ERP, this overall transition and transformation, I would say. How did it all happen, Bhavani? What kind of challenges have you faced, and how did you overcome them?
2: Great question, Sudhakar. You really helped me reflect a little bit in the past on what this journey entailed, too. When I was a database administrator, I was very content with how things were going, Mm -hmm. meaning self-satisfaction levels were really high, and it felt like this is it, right? I'm done. It felt like (laughs) nothing else left to be accomplished because by then I was delivering some very good technical upgrades that were complex in nature. And it gives a sense of satisfaction to you that you've done this. So I honestly wanted to retire as a database expert. I was very content. Mm -hmm. However, at that point in time, a woman leader in GE who was leading a huge IT team for one of the businesses in India, she helped me think differently. Her mentorship triggered me with a different perspective on how I should be perceiving my next steps. So her question was very intriguing in terms of, you know, looking at the problem statement differently, looking at my career differently. So her question was, should your decisions influence 100 boxes with databases or should it influence 100 people who can in turn influence 100 boxes? Where do you want to put your energies? That was a game changer to me in terms of looking at this problem statement completely differently on, hey, what should be my next step in my career? And that's when I realized what I was, you know, my contentment at that point of time was merely meaningless. And she pointed out that every individual can accomplish 100 times more than what they're doing on their day to day basis if they can harness their internal power in the right direction. And it only happens with the learning and attitude. They help channel the energy in the right direction. And paired by passion, optimism, and curiosity, you know, these are all the jetpacks to that channel. Uh So, that woman leader who asked me the right question at the right time to generate a curiosity in me that there is more that I can accomplish helps me put my contentment to bed and buckle up again and start looking for opportunities and when I started looking for opportunities she advised me to actually look for opportunities that can help me learn new things and take on more challenges it's not about opportunities that can think about me placing in the next level so her recommendation is think about your opportunities to learn and that naturally gives you growth that's exactly what I did and along the way as I mentioned a lot of great people became my mentors coaches sounding boards, sponsors in the work along the way bless me with the right opportunities to build my expertise in learning and this is where i feel the same sense of accountability to help give back to the community and, and help people who are really looking for that level of mentoring and coaching
0: so looks like you got uh, very good sponsors mentors along your career journey and i also know that you have passion towards this coaching and mentoring women employees so what are some common problems that you see and what do you recommend to solve them
2: Great question. People also call me that I'm a little bit biased towards women. True in some way, because I truly think they need help. So early career women are very passionate about their learnings. I have seen some wonderful women coming at the college with a lot of passion towards their learning, their career growth, and also raising up to the challenges. Along the way, as new priorities gets added to their life, the focus seems to shift a little bit. It's not bad. These are the moments in life where one should completely experience to secure the joy of that particular phase. Getting married, having a kid, raising up that child. These are all critical moments in every woman's as well as men's life that they should really cherish and nourish for the rest of their life. However, a few women find it difficult to bounce back with all those added responsibilities in life. It just becomes critical for them to continue with the same focus at work. Many women try to settle down where they are with contentment, as I said, you know, which is what happened to me as well. At the same time, some women also face a lack of support from their respective families. This is the phase where we have noticed women drops out of their career during their mid-career moments or some women try to stay where they are and continue to just do that as a daily job where their only focus is to deliver whatever has been given to them. So this is the phase we strongly believe that women needs a little push, a lift from the network, and how can we support from the network, help them strike a balance between their priorities and work-life balance. And this is the phase where they need to be coached on available options. And these could be very different with respect to the organization, you know, be it the part-time flexibility or flexible hours that they can work, taking up simple responsibilities. Many organizations are coming up with such options to all of these women. And I have also noticed some organizations who are actually coaching this women to pick up their career back. And it gives me immense pleasure to talk to all of these individuals, especially women, to see how they're navigating through their careers with these additional responsibilities. And most importantly, the expectations from the society on them. So I always try to give a few tips to these individuals in terms of know, how they can foresee themselves picking up back on the career is do not fall into the trap of being an ideal wife or an ideal daughter-in-law or an ideal motherhood. You will never be able to meet that with your additional responsibility and focus on your career. It's okay. It's okay to not give them completely. Raise your children to be more independent. Coach them how to solve their problems on their own as much as they can. Don't try to babysit them every time and you be the role model of your own children. It's important to set the expectations with the family clearly on what they can do and what they need to do to you and what you cannot do to them. Agree on a plan to cover things that you won't be able to attend to that's totally okay. Setting up the expectations first really helps you be more agile in terms of what priorities you can take up and how can you plan your day better. And at work, I would say establish your support system. Find out the people or mentors who can invest their time in terms of coaching you and helping you along the way. But once you take the work, give your best and demand what's rightfully yours. Most of the times I have seen women tend to gauge themselves to a percentage fit to a particular role. For example, if the role demands these one, two, three, four, five items, people will stop applying to that because they only meet three out of five criteria. It's totally okay. Go ahead and apply. Try it out. Worst case, even if you don't get the job, you will get some good experience in terms of the interview, great questions, time with the interviewers, as well as the feedback at the end in terms of what they see as gaps in you that you need to overcome with. And the last recommendation is if someone knocks your door with an opportunity, go grab it. Take it. And start delivering it you may not have confidence in yourselves but when someone trusts you that you can do it raise up to it take up the challenge deliver it and leave your brand there so that's going to be my message to all of the wonderful women out there who are trying to get back to their mid-careers if that makes sense now and sudhakar
0: Absolutely. Very, very inspiring tips. And I'm sure it will benefit the women audience out there who are really stuck up at a mid-career stage or maybe trying to balance playing the role of a ideal mother or daughter in law, as you mentioned. So very well summarized. Bhavani switching topics a bit. You have worked on various technologies and you started your career as a faculty and then switched to DBA and now leading an ERP COE as a global leader. So I'm very curious to know how you keep yourself up to date, current and relevant on technology trends.
2: Thanks to Google, I would say, Naveen. Let me be honest here. I'm not current on everything that is going on, but I'll surely do my homework in terms of what is required for that point in time to be able to help do my job better, do my work better, make the right decisions, make the right choices. So I think that doing my homework well, investing time in that little bit of research makes me be more confident about that particular topic. And as I mentioned, I work with bright minds every day who help me learn quickly. And I also have a great team who's very, patient about my ignorance and they educate me constantly in terms of you know what's really most needed information to make those right choices and most of the times the decision is not just me so it's a collective decision so even though if i'm not really up to date on a particular topic my team helps me bring up to speed and my research also helps me in terms of making those right choices so i would summarize it as self-learning and a bit of research before i take up anything new at least helps me not look too innocent about that particular topic
1: Bhavani, one last question for today. With your experience, what will be your guidance for those aspiring to grow as a global leader like you?
2: really great question, Sudhakar. So let me try to split this into two. Right. One is people who have started their journey in this world, as well as people who are in the mid-career. And most important, people who are individual contributors, right? who get their work and, and try to deliver their work. Sure. So a few points that I want you to take away is never think this is it there's always a lot more to it. Be curious, be optimistic and put your best. Hard work definitely pays off. The second point I wanted you to take away is no one is naturally smart or born clever. When you look at some people, you kind of think that, oh, only he can do this. That's not true. You can accomplish anything by learning. This is called growth mindset. Thinking that anything can be done by learning and putting some effort to it is what we call as growth mindset. So invest enough time in terms of learning about it and you can be smart. Smart one too. The third thing I wanted you to take away is take on stretch goals and deliver your best. Leave your mark. And that mark turns out to your unique selling point, USP. The last one is understand the big picture and think strategically. And this is where I call it as think like your boss. Sometimes we need help and we worry about how am I going to do this? So take a step back and think about what would my boss have done in this situation? That gives you a lot more clarity on how you can handle that situation. My other tips to some of the young leaders who are really picking up the team leadership or people management or trying to be the influential leaders is be authentic, be humble to your people and be more candid. Most importantly, there has to be tolerance towards the candor that comes up from the individuals. And I would say be more of a listening leader than a telling leader. And think about how can you be more kind rather than being right. And as leaders, If you really want to be a global leader, cultural sensitivity is most critical. Understand those trigger points on where you can land up in a zone where you're seen as culturally insensitive person and put conscious efforts towards working on that. And most importantly, try to be an influential leader. Try to convince people about your ideas, though you may have the command and control. So these are certain things that I try to apply on my daily basis, and I know my team can best... Tell me whether I'm doing this effectively, but I would say I'm I'm really putting some conscious efforts towards these elements to groom myself.
1: Wow, I would say pulse of wisdom, Bhavani, with all your experience working in various geographies and working with people from different time zones, backgrounds, cultures. Thank you so much for your valuable inputs and for joining us today. It has been an amazing talk specifically about ERP in the aviation industry, but at broader level on being an effective professional and an effective woman leader. Really appreciate it. Thank you.
2: Thank you, Naveen and Sudhakar, for having me on your show. This is really wonderful for me to reflect on how my journey has been so far and also how I can be helpful for the community by sharing whatever I have gained over the journey. Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you once again, Bhavani. appreciate all the insights and definitely these are going to inspire our audience.
1: Dear listeners, to know more about our speaker and the content, Refer to the show notes and visit or follow us on social media. We are available on LinkedIn, Facebook, Insta, Twitter, Pinterest and also on YouTube. Just search for The Guiding Voice and then follow, like, subscribe and share within your network. Please feel free to email us at The Guiding Voice for you that is u i d i n g 4 as a digit U as a letter at gmail.com or WhatsApp us on India number 9494. 587-187. 587187 again it is india number 9494587187 and we will be happy to collaborate with you
0: sudhakar i think we have to talk about the exciting opportunity of getting featured in this show
1: Yeah, why not? Of late, we have been receiving a lot of career guidance-related questions from our regular listeners through YouTube, LinkedIn comments, WhatsApp, and email, and we are responding to them one-on-one on on, on on-need basis. Now, we are pleased to open it up a new mode of interacting with you all while providing a chance to broadcast yourself. If you have any questions related to education, career guidance, or a specific IT function, just send us your voice message through speakpipe.com slash theguidingvoice. We will play your question in your voice along with the answer either from us or our expert panel in our future episodes. Hope you will utilize this wonderful opportunity.
0: Alright, so it brings us to the trivia segment of today's episode. And today's trivia is about cybersecurity threats for Macs. Do you know if Macs are also vulnerable to cybersecurity threats? Many of us are under the assumption that Macs are very, very secure. But the research says that Apple computers are increasingly getting infected by adware. For years, Apple prided itself on the security of its computers, sometimes satirizing its competitor, the PC, through ads meant to show how Macs were more stylish and easier to use. But like the mid-90s Macintosh TV, those ads and the accompanying bragging have pretty much disappeared. Now, a report from a well-known anti-malware software company might explain why. Macs are twice as likely as PCs to get infected by adware. According to a recent research by Malwarebytes, threats to Mac computers increased by 400% in 2019. So if you talk about the numbers, on an average, PCs detected 5.8 threats per system in 2019 compared with 11 such threats to Macs. And you know, a year earlier, the Mac figure stood just at 4.8 threats. Interesting, isn't it? Thank you for listening. There is more in store, folks. Stay tuned. Have a wonderful time. Take care. Be safe. Until next time. (laughs) Bye-bye.